Hey there, Camp Wildheart community. Just me today. We'll get back to the story sharing stuff in a couple of weeks. Today, I just want to chat with you about some things that have been on my mind as we head into the holiday season in the weirdest, saddest, hardest year of our lives. One of the myths that exists about therapists is that we've got it all figured out. We do not. A good friend of mine and fellow therapist, and I often joke about how we could write a sitcom about the actual lives of therapists, and it would be hilarious. We mess up constantly and are flawed, imperfect people just like you. It also means we're largely in survival mode in this pandemic as well. I have been trying really hard to live in alignment with my values, which isn't different for me. That's what I've always tried to do. It just seems a little bit harder these days. Most days I do okay. But there are a lot of times that it's hard and scary. I come from a long line of master avoiders. So when the fear creeps in, my instinctual reaction is to turn away and pretend it's not there. I've gotten pretty good at not doing that so much anymore. But recently, I've had to do some work around what's been holding me back. And I want to share it with you because I think you might relate to it. Throughout my life, I've always thought of myself as a peacekeeper in my family. I know it's ingrained in me because I had video evidence. Growing up in the pre-iPhone era, we had to put a lot of thought and intention to if or when we were going to make home movies. We weren't wealthy, and a video camera was definitely a luxury item that we could not afford. So it required us borrowing a camcorder, a tripod, and usually multiple VHS tapes. And I think we have, or rather had, one home movie total. And I say had because at some point someone taped over it with the divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood, so I no longer have any evidence of this. Coming from a more theatrical background, we had decided that rather than filming a family event or a big moment in someone's life, we would do a reenactment of a WWF wrestling match. I mean, naturally, why wouldn't we? The roles were assigned. My two older brothers, who were maybe seven and 12 at the time, were the wrestlers. My dad was the announcer, my mom, the referee, and I was... Well, I was four, so I basically was the warm-up act before the match where my dad interviewed me, and then I was supposed to be the cheering section. So on the day of the match, we cleared out the living room, pushed back the couches, laid down a light blue blanket, same color as the WWF ring, and set up for what would surely be an epic wrestling match. We turn on the camera, my dad interviews me, We talk about my cabbage patch slippers, which were epic. And then he interviews my brothers about their characters, who they are, what they're looking forward to about the match. And then he turns to my mom, the ref, and asks her to review all of the rules of the match. My mother, in her deepest, most WWF wrestling style voice said, We're going to have a clean, fair fight today. I don't want to see any monkey business and no illegal moves. And that's the point when things really started to go off the rails. So my oldest brother, whose character was the alligator, started yelling at the ref, our mom, that he couldn't be confined to any rules and that he was just going to have to let it all go. And then he turned to my other brother saying, we don't want a fair fight, do we? And my younger brother, who, now that I really think about it, probably should have said, yeah, actually, I do want a fair fight, joined with my other brother to basically start a pre-fight fight with my mom. They attacked. She was sitting on the mat and they came at her from behind, one one from behind, one from the front. She ends up going backwards and her feet end up going like over her head. And 
that is the point that I lost it. I started screaming and sobbing and begging my brothers to just stop because I was convinced they were hurting her. They weren't. Um, I learned that after the fact. Um, so I don't actually remember the WWF match between my brothers and if it happened or did not happen. I don't remember because we never had any film evidence of the fight because the film cut to static with me piling on top of my brothers to pull everyone apart. And so it began the legacy of my peacekeeping and probably the road to my being a therapist. I still do a fair amount of peacekeeping, even though I try really hard not to. And I still struggle with knowing that I'm either the instigator of discomfort or even just a person that has needs. Being quote unquote high maintenance used to be the worst thing you could call me. What I didn't realize then was that my desire to be a pleaser, keep the peace, not have needs, be low maintenance really meant I was striving for the status of invisibility and a way for me to keep control of my anxiety, which as I've mentioned before as a kiddo was fierce. It felt so uncomfortable to be seen. A lot of the therapeutic work I've done in my own life has really been about having the courage to be seen, flaws and all. I'm still on that journey. I will probably continue to be on that journey in some form or another forever. I'll let you in on one of the therapist secrets because we do have some secrets, I guess. There's no finish line. At no point do you get to look around and say, oh good, I've dealt with that. I'll never have to deal with that again. It's much more likely that we'll work really hard and then less hard. And then it might feel easy for a bit until it doesn't anymore. And then it's back to working hard and the cycle begins again. Not long ago, I had a hard again moment and I was definitely back in the avoidance place, which I'm now able to recognize as frozen in fear. How do we release ourselves from that space? We get curious. Emotions are messengers and we should be listening to what they have to say. I knew that if I wanted to get through it, I would have to get clear about the story I was telling myself that was keeping me from moving forward. So I sat in it. <sighs> I sat in it, I breathed in and out, and I tried really hard to just feel and listen. Then I pulled out my journal and I word vomited it onto the page, an epic SFD. An SFD, in case you don't know, is a writing concept originated, I believe, by Anne Lamont of the shitty first draft. So I write my SFD. After reflecting on my fear paralysis, I discovered that I have a huge fear that I'm going to do something wrong. The podcast, the book I'm working on, parenting, and I will essentially blow my shot to make a difference. I've scoured the internet searching out the how-tos on these things, because one of the myths I often succumb to is that I can plan my way out of discomfort. We can't, but that never seems to stop me from trying. Won't someone just tell me how to do this? Can't someone just hand me a map and say, here you go, this is the next step. And then it hit me. I sounded exactly like the parents I've been working with for years. I think one of the aspects of common humanity in parenting is that we are all trying to do the best we can and inflict the least amount of damage possible on our kids. Some days it feels like a Hallmark movie, other days an MMA pay-per-view special. It is both day in and day out. Anyone who tries to pretend it's anything different is just full of shit. So here's what I've started to remind myself. 
And I would encourage you to remind yourself of this as well as you continue on the journey of parenting your transgender kiddos, particularly during the holidays. There is not a path for this. You are basically pioneering the Wild West of the gender frontier, and I'm certainly in it with you, as are all of my guests to support and help, but there is not a path for this. There's not a formula, a model, a one-size-fits-all, no crystal ball, and there are no guarantees. The only real magic we have is the love and connection we give to our kiddos and to each other. So as you head into the holiday season, knowing that there's not a path for this, I want to leave you with a few things to consider about ways you can shift this holiday from a hard and grief-filled time to one of joy and gratitude. Number one, when your child came out to you, it was an invitation to know them for who they are as their truest self. You earned that right by building trust. Your extended family may not have earned that right yet. So if your child is not ready to tell extended family, that's okay. It does not mean they don't know themselves. Number two, this season is flush with opportunity to build up connection with your child and repair ruptures that may have happened around gender. If you're a gift-giving family, there are many gifts you can choose from that affirm your child's gender and who they are. They probably have a list, but if they don't, we'll post a list of gift ideas as well. Number three, your child may have a hard time telling you what they need and want because they too do not like to make waves. You might need to give them permission and to let them know that it's okay to have needs and be visible this year. Number four, modeling is an incredibly powerful tool in parenting. If you want your child to learn to advocate for themselves or ask for what they need, they can do that a lot better if they see you do it as well. Number five, practice, practice, practice. If you're going to visit family that doesn't know about your child's gender or is unaffirming, create a plan for your child to be able to take space and write it out and practice saying some of the phrases that you can have at the ready should you need to defend your child or yourself at a family gathering. Number six, you may have some handmade ornaments with old pictures or names on them. Talk with your child about them before you put them on the tree. They may not be ready for that this year. They may not be ready for it any year. And it's okay if that makes you sad. It's not okay to make your child responsible for fixing your feelings though. You can do that part. Number seven, check other decorations like stockings for names that are no longer in use. If your child hasn't picked a new name or isn't out to the family and family is going to be around the decorations, consider using monograms and initials instead of names for such items. Number eight, consider a holiday crafting session where you and your child create new memorabilia with your child's correct name. Number nine, try not to make excuses for your family that doesn't get it. Being old, not being used to it, not having it not be the way that they grew up, none of that is a good enough reason to pretend your child is not in transition. If you're making excuses or justifying your family's behavior, you're missing out on an opportunity for empathy with your child, which ultimately erodes trust. Number 10, this time of year is full of joy, but also hard for so many of us. Reach out to someone who can provide you with empathy. If you don't have anyone like that in your life, remember that the Camp Wildheart community is here for you. Number 11, wash your hands, wear a mask, and stay home if you can. Number 12, there is no path for this. The only way out of this wilderness is through it. 
Do not try to pretend it isn't happening. It will only make it worse. Number 13, you've got this. Be brave and awkward and fumble through it. That's okay. I'm cheering for you. That's it. That's all I have for you today. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and celebrating the season and your children with you. What a wild ride 2020 has been. I think I speak for all of us when I say I sincerely believe 2021 will be better. With vaccines on the way, we may at the very least be able to hug soon. And I'm really looking forward to the gratitude that will come with savoring each hug and all of life's moments that have been stolen by this virus. I'm so grateful for all of you. Thanks so much for showing up. Happy holidays, my friends.